there's no need to shy away from these things. Does that mean I'll ever visit El Salvador while Bukele is <laughs> president and he hears this episode? No. <laughs> Christina, and this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Latin American history, except today it's some history and some more current events. But last episode led into this sort of. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's it, everything's interrelated, right? Like our history yeah, yeah. informs our present and, you know, it's all connected. So, yeah, usually we talk about horrible things like racism, corruption, all that stuff. But we also talk about good stuff, good things like resistance. Resistance, jinx. Yeah. Right. We didn't say that at the same time. At least that didn't sound like that to me. Okay. Well, it did to me. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I Power and community was what I was going to finish off with. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the other good stuff that our stories usually involve. Yes. Yes. Today is just straight up corruption. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hey, we did start this uh, to talk about corruption. So. Right, right. One of the main intents of this podcast, which we have done. So, yeah, I think we have fulfilled that a lot. (laughs) And we're going to keep fulfilling it. (laughs) Because sadly, these stories are not small in numbers. So, yeah. So today we are talking about Bukele. I wanted to talk about, I mean, because there's tons of stuff you can talk about when it comes to Bukele, right? So much. I also mentioned him last episode. At the yeah, end, so. yeah. Because you were talking about how he stopped the investigations, right? Uh, into mm-hmm. For El Mosote. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's plenty, plenty of things, a plethora of things. <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin city. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. So I wanted to talk about his, quote, fight on the gangs or whatever with his state of exception. Mm -hmm. But I found myself having to split this into two episodes, basically. Our first two-parter, I don't know if it'll be, because with with the state of exception, there's also, um, what did he call it? His territorial control plan or some shit like that. Territory control. Right. And that is very intertwined with the state of exception currently Mm, mm -hmm. that's still in place (laughs) uh so hopefully we won't need to split it up even more but anyway that's (laughs) what i was intending to talk about this all started because you wanted to talk about the state of exception yeah and let me tell you how i (laughs) i mean we've been wanting actually we've been saying that we want to do episodes on bukele for a while from the beginning from the beginning yeah but what inspired me to finally look into a lot of it, I mean, well, we've been looking into his stuff through um, people that report on him since his presidency or whatever. But yes. what led me to do research for an episode was because um, some Mexican. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that did happen. Some Mexican guy was asking me like, oh, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well, my mom's from Mexico and my dad's from El Salvador. And he's like, oh, Salvador. Oh, I love what Bukele has done to, with the country. And I'm like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? <sighs> and <laughs> and he's all like, well, you know, he's cleaned up the streets. And I'm like, first of all, if this doesn't show the way that 
Mexicans view El Salvador as like a dirty place. Yeah. Yeah. They literally call us poop. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like he, he started off with that and I'm like, oh, well, I don't really, you know, that's not my view on it. And I forgot what he told me. Basically, I'm like, I'm, I don't really support uh, vi- uh, someone who violates human rights. <laughs> and he's all like, oh, but los mareros, they don't deserve rights. Always. And what what kind of, you know, I, it was it was the right thing for them to destroy the gravestones because they don't even deserve that. And I'm just like, I was like, I'm not going to argue about this. I just don't support, you know. Someone who violates human rights. And yeah, exactly. And then the same person went on to say uh, something about (laughs) supporting Andrew Tate of all people. (laughs) No. Okay. I'm not surprised. I wish that we were recording video. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Story of our lives. Maybe this year we'll get it together. Yeah. Um, And I was like... (laughs) And and I laughed and I was like, really? Oh, no, I forgot. Like, because we, there was like a lot of shit he kept bringing up and we're like, <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> anyway, he's like, oh, let me guess. Um, You don't like Andrew Tate. And I'm like, no, I don't like people who engage in who human trafficking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, or I don't like people who engage in human rights violations. I don't in, I don't support people who traffic humans. Like, these are like basic ass things. And lo and behold, what happened just recently? (laughs) And you know, his supporters, and this is a little off topic, sorry, but his supporters are like, well, he was released within seconds. Like, okay, and there's still a case But I heard they extended his um, hold, like 30 days or something. They probably did. I don't know. Something like that's what I last heard. But but that's what his supporters are blowing up on social media. Yeah, yeah. And and. I think it's related, though, because I think that if we were to do a pie chart, <laughs> or mm-hmm. no, no, not a pie chart. I'm sorry. I'm not good at math or science. <laughs> a Venn diagram. <laughs> oh, Venn diagram. Yes. I'm not good at things. Yes, You're like, yes, diagram. pie chart. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just went with it. Um, Of the pe- people who support Bukele, Bitcoin, Andrew Tate. <laughs> Logan Paul. I'm going to throw him in there. Kanye West. Throwing him in there. Um, Elon. <laughs> Elon Muskie throwing him in there. People who like to kiss Bezos' ass, throwing that in there too. It's just one huge circle <laughs> of the same yeah. color. Yes. It's all overlapping. And so, yep. <laughs> so, anyway, that's what led me to want to finally do this episode. And it was ever all consuming. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not even done there's just more i didn't and even more. get into one specific thing he's fucking done <laughs> my god okay my but god. because before i talk about bukele and his regime and his antics um i wanted to talk about briefly politics and democracy in el salvador and of course prefacing that by saying i'm in no way an expert <laughs> <laughs> politics of El you know, Salvador. I should have uh, I should have prefaced that one or said that when I um did the brief brief summary of things leading up to the civil war. Well, I mean, I too. think that should be a given though, obviously. Like this is this is just have, a yeah. uh what do they call that? A love passion? No, a habit hobby habit. <laughs> this is just a hobbit of ours, yes. 
this is our hobbit that we're presenting we're, we're not historians um <laughs> as we said in our gum episode actually this is gonna come out first but you will hear me say i'm not a historian <laughs> but i did want i did briefly start a degree and then carmen told me that that this uh, this podcast was the closest i was gonna get to <laughs> i was just joking <laughs> Well, I'm going to remember those words forever, so. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, passion project. That's the word I was talking about. Because yeah, okay. we like reading about um, these, these horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> and informing people about it, you know. Of course, yeah. everyone should know about this. Yeah. That's just, you know, a little advisory. That is a little advisory, yes. Because Carmen's scratching her face <laughs> and the mic's away I'm from her sorry. fucking face. <laughs> I said I'm sorry. Okay. So contemporary <laughs> democracy in El Salvador began in the 90s, right? And you talked about this in your uh, episode about El Mosote also. But it helped the peace that accords. that was the, um, the episode right before this. Yeah. Um, so, and again, like last time I said, I didn't get to put my notes in order how I would have preferred. And so this oh, will <laughs> jump a little bit back and forth. So just bear with me, please, people. Like I said, I'm not a professional. <laughs> so, yeah, contemporary democracy in El Salvador began in the early 90s when the Al Alianza Republicana Nacionalista or ARENA government and the FMLN and what is it? Faribundo. That's too long. We're not going to say that. The FMLN. <laughs> Something, Liberatorio something. Nacional. Nacional. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So the, yeah, FMLN. Um, which back then, right, and you talked about this as well, it was an umbrella group of several armed guerrilla movements who came together afterwards. Yes. Sorry, I felt and like And leftist movements. Yeah, right. Groups, yeah. So ARENA and FMLN agreed to end the civil war which lasted from 1979 to 1992. And this is kind of like a recurrent topic, a fave of ours, <laughs> if you will. The Civil War in El Salvador? <laughs> yeah. We're always yeah, talking we, about it. We're always talking about El Salvador. <laughs> this is Obviously, true. yes. Have yep. salvies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, okay, so my dog is bothering me, but so is... Um, <laughs> This is going to be a mess of a recording. We're just going to throw that yeah. out there. Carmen's dog is on her lap, hitting her face, her face with, with his, his ears. ears. And then my her husband, husband is, is in the room, some being a game. Nerd, yeah. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> you do? Yeah. Yeah. JK, just kidding to all the nerds out there. We love it, though. As in me, myself, <laughs> and I. Yeah. I don't. No. Um, okay. So the Civil War lasted from 1979 to 1992. And they agreed to end the war, yes, which lasted that. from these years that I just yeah. said, and to establish a new electoral regime. I just feel like I said was saying it weird. Okay. Oh. Before the Civil War, ARENA was founded. I just wanted to mention this because it doesn't really relate to anything that I'm going to... I guess it kind of does, whatever. ARENA was founded by a member of a right-wing death squad. <laughs> Have you said that I before? I did say that in the last episode, oh, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, was it? No. I mentioned that Arena, the the founder of Arena, was responsible for the murder of Oscar Romero yeah, and the shooting. Did. Yes, right. So yeah, Arena was founded by a member of a right wing death squad. Um. Anyway, so part of the ending the civil war, um, and the agreements that I don't know led to the new democratic government being established. 
were the 1992 Chapultepec peace accords. And these are the peace accords that formally ended the Civil War. And uh, this is where like settlement and legislation were developed. And this included negotiating right between the freaking conservative death squad <laughs> governments and the left wing uh, guerrillas. Um, so this legislation altered almost every aspect of the Salvadorian political system and created a new set of rules for stable and sustainable democratic competition. So El Salvador was not the only country to right, to transition from authoritarian rule to democratic governments. And the pact that, you know, both sides of the war made to establish a new government are similar to pacts that have been made in Brazil and Chile. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so when these pacts were made or, you know, at that time, many thought that these pacts were key in successful transition from authoritarian rule. And others thought that in the long run, these pacts could become rigid barriers to change. Hmm. So in the 90s and 2000s, El Salvador struggled with establishing a set of rules that could protect and reconcile the interests of both the FMLN and the ARENA. Or ARENA, I don't think I should say the ARENA. What is it? ARENA, just okay. ARENA. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, either one works. Yeah, that's if you're true. saying Democrats or the Democrats, yeah, you could say either right. one. Yeah. Um, so the pact dealt with this, I don't know, like they had to compromise, right? So the pact dealt with this by laying down the foundation for a strong two-party system dominated by ARENA on the right and the FMLN on the left with the peace courts creating a legal pathway for the guerrillas to form the FMLN, basically, and participate in electoral politics while the guerrillas, of course, agreed to permanent ceasefire. So the established electoral code protected ARENA and FMLN from electoral competition by establishing high barriers to entry for new parties and basing public campaign funding on past electoral performance. So basically, it's hard to, for new Start parties. New party yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you need past funding. Yeah. Or yeah. past electoral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Um, so the regu regulations also promised wartime, and you talked about this, wartime leaders. Um, the amnesty? Yeah. yeah. Yes. So the people that committed crimes, <laughs> war crimes, yeah. would receive amnesty. And this was part of the peace accords. But this was deemed unconstitutional. And that's what led to the trial of Hermosote, which I mentioned. And so, yeah, I mean, originally this allowed people to get away with <laughs> rap and violent right but yep. it facilitated democracy by ensuring that both right-leaning and left-leaning wartime leaders could participate in this new government basically while though that the same people that committed these crimes could continue in office yeah so i mean this was never going to end well <laughs> no and yeah, ultimately, as we know, the FMLN became the dominant left party and that and I became the dominant right party. Former combatants from both sides became presidents, ministers, legislators, mayors yep. and party leaders. El Salvador's two party system became one of Latin America's most stable democracy and it maintained this way for more than two decades. But beginning in the 2000s, the system began to experience something called 
political decay per Wikipedia. (laughs) Okay. This is a political theory which describes how chaos and disorder can arise from social modernization, increasing more rapidly than political and institutional modernization. Mm. I mean, there's more to it than that, but basically... The government remained static and failed to respond to new issues and younger voters who cared more about the people cared more about widespread gang violence than wartime divides. But these, you know, civil war leaders, right, have held on to that since Mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. And obviously, gang violence is like has been rampant in El Salvador and Central America. Mm-hmm. for a long time now and uh the government you know basically failed to respond to that and of course how the way that gangs became prevalent in el salvador and central america it's like a whole other huge topic <laughs> that would take so long to even yeah too tackle. huge to get into now yeah um so yeah but basically it's the united states fault yes yeah <laughs> yeah it is everything is so that's kind of, I don't know, the political environment, landscape, landscape yeah. milieu, if you will. <laughs> Just throwing yeah. out the big words. Um, I like it, though. <laughs> new, new year, new me. I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn all these big words <laughs> to use. You're going to put you're going to put that. Um, I'm going to put my master's to degree to work. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the environment. That essentially Bukele capitalized <laughs> on right yeah and and none of this is to minimize what the you know Salvadorians have been through because of gang violence right yeah it has been I mean there's a reason why there's been mass and it's not only gang violence it's a lot of it a lot of things but there's a, a reason why there's been mass um exodus basically from El Salvador yeah since the civil war and <laughs> Yeah. During, you know. So on to Bukele now. Before getting into politics, Bukele dropped out of college and began managing a nightclub in downtown San Salvador. Oh, my God. Be- <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I didn't get a chance. I did read about his family. And I mean, he comes from a rich family. Yeah, I believe his family was part of the FMLN, no? Um, no, so they ran a PR firm and FMLN was one of their key clients. That's the connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, his family was super and rich. I think they're a, they're a Palestinian family. Yeah, I was going to say that right now. Oh, my bad. Um, and his dad, Bukele's dad, is like a Muslim leader, Muslim leader in El Salvador. And so I, there is a lot of fair things to criticize Bukele on, but I've seen a lot of anti-Muslim things, which is not the business, not, right? No. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many other things. So many other things you could say about him. Yeah. And so that's no not what we're to be doing at all. Anti-Muslim. Yeah. So yeah, he dropped out of college, began managing a nightclub in downtown San Salvador, and he first delved into the world of politics. We already kind of said this, but um when he took over his family's um PR um Business firm. firm. Oh, <laughs> Couldn't think yeah. of the word firm. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Um, and yeah, the FMLN was a key client of theirs. So that's how he became involved with the FMLN. Uh, before Bukele began his self-funded bid for mayor of Nuevo Cuscatlan 
Arena was involved in a series of corruption scandals, which allowed the FMLN to gain power and hold on to that power for a decade. And it was under this political environment in which Bukele began his first or began his political career as the FMLN mayor of Nuevo Cuscatlan from 2012 to 2015 and then of San Salvador from 2015 to 2018. But in 2017, and I think I talk about this again later, so like I said, bear with me. <laughs> but in 2017, the FMLN kicked him out of the party for fostering division within the party. Oh, God. Yeah. So then he was already in that dictatorship mentality. <laughs> He's, he was born with it. Yeah. Probably. I don't Probably. know. Probably. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, um, but when you come from money, you want to... It's not to say everyone with money is evil, but if your family is one of the richest in an area, am I going to say that you want to hold on to power and riches? Yeah. And and doing bad things like being a dictator <laughs> falls under that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a natural progression. It, I was okay. going to say it's a logical leap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then he formed the New Ideas Party. And after only seven years of being in public office, he announced that he would run for president. Wow. Okay. I didn't know it was that short. Yeah. He became the only candidate not from Arena or the FMLN to become president since 1994. So that's huge. And because of what I was talking about earlier about the way democracy was set up from the peace accords, you know, this was a purposeful thing to encourage wartime elites to embrace electoral politics. But in the long run, it forced voters to choose between, quote, los, mi los mismos que siempre. Oh, yeah. And this was something Bukele ran with, basically. And there had been, I, from what I have read and from what I've heard our family say, and, you know, Papi and Mitio is the only Salvadoran family we have. <laughs> but there had been a growing concern with both parties. Like, los yeah. dos son corruptos. They're both corrupt. Yeah, so, and that's the message yeah. he ran Mm -hmm. with you know what was a huge message of his campaign and that's what yeah. so when i said that the fmln had taken over when he started his political career because of corruption issues with arena like the fmln had their own <laughs> issues yeah. issues during that time as well and like basically people were tired of both of them yeah. and bukele capitalized on this sentiment mm -hmm. of the people yes mm -hmm. real true sentiment of the people yeah um, so, um, uh, right. It forced voters to choose entre los mismos que, mismos que siempre or the same ones as always. Um, and Bukele was viewed as an outsider akin <laughs> to how voters viewed Trump here. Uh, yeah. There's parallels here. Yes. Having to do with populism. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, that became a famous phrase of Bukele's. And also, it's important to note that before Bukele became president, three of his four immediate predecessors, I didn't say that right, whatever, predecessors had faced serious corruption charges. And this included both Rumarina and the FMLN. Yeah. Um, so three of his four, you know, the four previous presidents had been facing uh, serious corruption charges. And so had other, during that same time, other high government officials um, they were also facing corruption charges. So it was like corruption everywhere. 
Yeah. And one of our things that our dad always says, like all the time, he was like, uh, cause you know, he grew up there obviously. And so he would say like, oh, they would send money for lunches for the kids at schools, but all the government did is pocket that money. Yeah. Like it's like a, been a thing for the long, after, since the war, since after yeah. the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just been, I don't know. It, it, it like breaks my heart that like, they just never had it. They've never had a chance because it's been, it's yeah. been like corrupt from, mm-hmm. I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. Speaking of corruption, Salvis were tired of this shit. And so they came to view the entire Salvadorian political system as corrupt beyond repair. Yeah. And the horrible thing is that like people, you know, now because he was the fresh new face and even though he's doing terrible things, they're like, well, he's not the other two. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Bukele capitalized on the people's perceptions of widespread widespread corruption and not even really perception, but like the real widespread corruption and yeah. democratic dysfunction with many catchphrases as part of his brand, including El Dinero Alcanza Cuando Nadie Roba or There's Enough Money When No One Steals, which is kind of, you know, what you were saying. Yeah. And yeah, that's why people can look past the horrible things. Some people don't even see the things he's doing as horrible First of all, but if they even view the things as horrible, they look past it because of this, because of all the corruption that was already happening. Yeah. And so, yeah, before running for president, Bukele was a FMLN member and he became mayor of Nuevo Cuscatlan and then San Salvador. Um, But he always downplayed his associations with the party right away, claiming he didn't live the war and he's part of a post-war generation with new ideas. Which, of course, later became the name of his party. (laughs) Of course. And throughout his FMLN career, his politics were seen as leftist, were kind of leftist, including progressive taxes. But again, he avoided the FMLN's played out message about the revolution. And he even rejected the party's trademark colors. Uh, So this is what uh, they meant by how he was fostering division. (laughs) I could see that now. And it's also important to know that this probably was even easier for him to to do because that even though the FMLN, you know, was able to gain power and people in like the major cities who were not seeing the war as much as people in the rural areas who were seeing the atrocities by Arena and the military, they it's widely believed that both yeah, sides were horrible in the war. Even though, like I said, That's that ninety percent, the reality is that ninety percent of the war crimes that happened during the civil war were being done by right wing groups. Um, most people view both sides as terrible, and so people were already like, "Oh, FMLN thinks they're good, but they were bad yeah. too." Like this is a wide like thing. So yeah, it it was smart of him to like try and downplay his role with FMLN, even though he was part of the party because yeah. People were already anti-FMLN. And and people, like you're saying, people didn't live the revolution and the war the same way. And so kind of by yep. saying, like, harping and harping on that is, like, not the business. that He, you know, yeah. capitalized on that, basically. Yep. Yep. So as mayor of Nuevo Cuscatlan, his popularity rose for many reasons. Um, he opened a 24-hour medical clinic, uh, mm. a library. A okay, a lot of socialist things. Yes, exactly, yeah. Because he's, basically, he's faked <laughs> being a leftist and socialist. Yeah. But even though he's 
done these things. Like he's al- always been anti, I don't know, LGBTQ, anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. And, and there was always, and I'll talk about it more as I get into it. Uh, but there's always been signs of of his author- authoritarianism. Okay. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, he opened a community center. He gave seniors a monthly free basket of food. He uh, vowed to donate his entire salary to fund grants for students taking English and computer science classes. Uh, so because of his popularity, the FMLN encouraged Bukele to run for mayor of San Salvador, a position that is seen as stepping stone to the presidency. But once he felt Bukele, once he felt his power growing, he shut the party out of his campaign and relied instead on his rich family members and friends. Oh, that's wow. how he mostly continues to run things now, too, with his family being like, you know, his party members and things like that. If that's not a sign of. A dictator. I don't know what else is. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, like I said, even before becoming president, his politics have always had issues. For example, when journalists dug into his accomplishments of what he did as mayor of San Salvador, they found that his office had disregarded permits and zoning ordinances, paid inflated prices to contractors, and kept disinformation from city council. Wow. So, I mean, like that, when you look at it, it's not that serious, but it's like testing the waters of what you can get away with. Mm -hmm. So soon Bukele came to view any investigation into his leadership as a personal attack. And yep, yep. Another one. We should put a little bell every time we hit a sign of a dictatorship. Yeah. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about signs of authoritarianism a little bit later, too. And the things he's done that fall into those categories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he started um, building alternative media. Ding. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> like his own TV programs. Um, oh, God. Twitter trolls, YouTubers, and Facebookers to push pro bukele propaganda. And he, <laughs> Ding, <laughs> portrayed himself as a contrarian truth teller. Ding. <laughs> Okay, uh, we should stop because there's going to be a lot of things I see. It's going to be full of it, yeah. Um, And so all of these things gained him popularity and led to the FMLN kicking him out of the party. And I already talked about that a little bit earlier. Oh, oh, he was still on the FMLN. Yeah, he was during this time, yeah. But yeah, like I said, they accused him of fostering um, division. And there's an actual, like, event that led to um them expelling him from the party which i you know just didn't have time to like write about but it involved him throwing an apple <laughs> at a uh, what was she a, like a and i don't remember because i didn't write it down but she, she uh might have been an equivalent like of a da or something like a prosecutor oh uh, dear God. not even a da like a she would investigate like corruption within <gasps> the government wow and he threw an apple at her and this lady ended up having to seek asylum <laughs> somewhere else because of... I'm not surprised. Right? Um, so, yeah, he was kicked out. Um, but him being kicked out of the FMLN only made him more popular with the people. Of course because, it did. Yeah. Yep. It, it only proved his anti-establishment message that Arena and FMLN are the same and that he was not like them, right? That resonated mm-hmm. more with the people. So... There's a lot more that can be said about Bukele's corruption before he became president, but we simply do not have the time for that. But I do, and I think it can be a separate episode, maybe as part of the 
they are what do they call it? the control territorial plan, whatever the hell it's called. When he was mayor, I want to say it was San Salvador, but I don't remember if it was San Salvador or Nuevo Cuscatlan. But during that time, he negotiated with Mareros. <laughs> yes. Right? This, yes, he did. Yeah. And he, he still did it as president. Yeah. But I mean, this, it started before that. This is actually a very that. common thing. Yeah, it is. The government. Yeah. But he campaigned, right? Uh, on not being like the other parties and that he, he even called his party new ideas. But he's done the same shit that yep. they've done. Yep. Negotiate with Mareros, you know? And yep. more than that. Yep. So Sorry. yeah, and, and yeah, <laughs> um, and and this was before becoming president. So that's why I'm saying like there there was telltale signs of his authoritarian yeah. authoritarianism yeah. and corruption even before he became president. And so I do want to highlight that there was a pattern of authoritarianism on Bukele's end and a sign of what was to come. So I did find a table from through my research, and and you link the sources and stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. So it'll it's be in, in there. the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in there. But I found a table basically talking about the indicators of his authoritarian behavior um, and the, I don't know, behaviors that indicate authoritarianism, basically. And so it's like a table that talks about, you know, classic authoritarian things <laughs> and what he's done that falls under those that things. matches it. Yeah. OK. So these things include. Rejecting or having a weak commitment to democratic rules, having a denial of the legitimacy of political opponents, tolerating or encouraging violence, and a readiness to curtail civil liberties of opponents, including the media. So do those make sense? Like what? Yeah, I think so. And they'll make sense when we talk about what his actual actions have been, right? So in 2016, Bukele gathered supporters outside of the attorney general's office and threatened that the people would drag the chief prosecutor out of his office, inciting violence. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Um, Wow. Yeah. In 2018, Bukele claimed that the electoral authorities were preparing to rig the 2019 election. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Wow. Yes. And I mean, we did say there was going to be parallels here. He also encouraged a mob of supporters to enter the offices of the electoral authorities in mass and refused to participate in the candidate debates for the 2019 election. So that kind of falls under the third one, the first one, rejecting or having a weak commitment to the democratic rules that are in place. Right. Mm Because participating in the debate is what president candidates are supposed to do. And he refused to do it. In 2019, he violated electoral regulations by giving a televised get-out-the-vote address on Election Day. I guess that's something they can't do over there. I don't know. Oh. In 2020, he used the police and army to break into the opposition-controlled legislature. In, and some of these is when he's already been president. But it's just it shows okay. a pattern, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2021, he used his legislative supermajority to fire the Constitutional Chamber and the Attorney General. Completely undermining yep. a check, checks and balance system <laughs> that is essential to democracy, right? Okay, th- that's th- that's when he fired all the judges. Yes. Yeah, and this is what halted the investigation of El Mosote. Yeah. Throughout 2019 and 2021, Bukele repeated claims against the constitution... Oh my God, I can't say that word, sorry. Against the constitutionality of court sentences and legislative activities affecting the executive, basically undermining 
the checks and balances that are in place that affect the executive branch. Like he's okay, like, like challenging and saying they're unconstitutional. They yeah. It would be unconstitutional to do something against him. Yes. Yeah. Dear God. <laughs> people have repeated these things. Like, yeah. And like people, the firing of the judicial it's system is, I mean, that is a dictatorship move. Yeah. And people are defending this mm-hmm. still. And it's like, and then they're like, oh, you're brainwashed. And it's like, I'm so- <laughs> This is literally what you're not supposed to do. This, yeah. Oh, they were all corrupt. And it always goes back to those words. Oh, yeah. they were all corrupt mm-hmm. anyway. Oh, like, okay, put new ones in place. Like, but not by him. Like, <laughs> someone, <know>. someone else. <laughs> someone, someone else, yeah. Please, someone else. <laughs> Anyone. Uh, and then, like I said before earlier, throughout 2018 and 2019, Bukele struck packs with gangs in exchange for political and electoral support. In 2020, he ordered police units to tell opposition legislators ahead of his occupation of the legislature. So basically to tell <laughs> opposing uh, Congress members and whatnot, right? Yeah. Throughout 2015 to 2016, Bukele directed a cyber fraud network that targeted major newspapers. In 2020, he launched a money laundering investigation against El Faro. He really doesn't like El Faro. <laughs> because they report on his bullshit, you know? Yeah, and El Faro, I mean, they were they top-notch uh, journalism. Yeah. In 2021, he eliminated long-standing tax breaks for printed news media. <laughs> wow, that's... that's okay. It's blatant. <laughs> <laughs> he's not even... He, he's never he's, been hiding any of this. And... Throughout all of his time in politics, he's made repeated personal attacks through social media and during press conferences against members of the press. Bukele has framed these power grabs as victories for democracy. And I think this is one reason why people defend a lot of this. So he does this by tweeting things like the Salvadorian people said through their representatives, you're fired. This is when he uh, fired all the judges. And he also said, this is called democracy. In 200 years, our country had not savored it. But now we do. It's not democracy. It's a dictatorship. Yeah. Oh, my God. And he also claimed that 75% of Salvadorian people voted in free elections for the change we are now seeing. This is, again, when he fired all the judges. And, in fact, polls did show that over 70% of Salvadorians support supported Bukele's dismissal of the attorney general and the judges. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. So he gets away with all of this by saying, the people voted for us, they voted for me, so I can do these things. This is what the people want. And that is not, I mean, that is not how things work. It's not. Just because you were voted into power doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want. There's still supposed to be votes within, you know, your Congress, your representatives, your judges, like governors i don't know there's a well, system checks and balances right like the yeah. the judges yeah. and the um attorney general are supposed to it, it's called like a horizontal yeah check him yeah but now he's fired all of them replaced it with people replaced them with people that are his supporters basically so that system of checks and balance is gone yeah in a very dictator move Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, Bukele's actions are not democratic at all, and they're actually a blow <laughs> to Salvadorian <laughs> democracy. 
<laughs> yeah, they're a blow to all democracy. Basically, because he's gotten rid of checks and balances, right? Because like you're saying, it's not only about free elections and only about saying the people voted for this. Like, you still need to be held accountable. Yeah. Okay, so to touch more on the authoritarianism of all of this, in Salvador's current political environment, in which a popular anti-establishment leader elected democratically amid widespread public dissatisfaction with the political system, undermines institutional systems of checks and balances, right? So a person who does all these things is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, nothing yeah. new. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, and resembles the likes of other Latin American authoritarians like Peru's Alberto Fujimori, mm-hmm. Venezuela's Hugo Chavez, and Ecuador's Rafael Corra. Mm-hmm. But Bukele is different in that he relies on a distinct blend of political tactics that have been labeled as millennial authoritarianism, which is a political strategy that combines traditional populist appeals classic authoritarian behaviors and a youthful and modern personal brand built primarily through social media yep and i mean only in 20 in the 2020s can you achieve this yeah and you have to be yeah like you said young because i mean another thing is that a lot of people think he's hot um i don't see it personally i don't see it i do not see it all all but i also hate him so (laughs) it's it's (laughs) clouding Is it no. anything that would have been there that maybe I would have seen? It's yeah, it's clouded by my hatred of him. Is he maybe conventionally attractive? I can't say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he's not. <laughs> no, but yeah, people think he's hot and cute and young and modern. They love his sunglasses and his hat or cap, whatever. And I'm just like, Ugh. can you can you see past all of that? Because this is the pers- purposefully. Uh, uh, formed constructed Im- yeah. image yes yeah. which i'll get into in a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so bukele's political platform is as populist as, as they get as it comes right it's traditionally populist yeah because he frames his movement as a his and this is going to sound so familiar to everybody because right it's a populist Whatever. He frames his movement as a historic mission to return political power to the people and forcefully take power away from the corrupt and elitist government embodied by Yarena and FMLN, or Los Mismos de Siempre, as he likes to say. Mm -hmm. He wants to make El Salvador great again. Right? He wants to drain the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He's actually, I think, tweeted that before. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Well, because he's BFFs with El Trompas. He is. With, with Señor Trompas. Yeah. They love each other. Yeah. Actually, Señor and Trompas, he... like... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say Señor Trompas, like, tweeted out, like, oh, he's doing so great. Yeah. Like, I admire him or something. Of course he does, because he wishes he could do what Bukele has done. He tried. That's what the attempt at January 6th was. But guess what? That's why we have a system of checks and balance here, which, of course, is not perfect. But look, it prevented that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it didn't prevent it because they tried it. But But you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It didn't go further for a reason, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So Bukele does all of this, right? His populist movement. He does all of this through a carefully cultivated, fresh and stylish image. 
in addition to <laughs> it's not even that stylish honestly <laughs> no it's not it's literally because he's 30 something i really think that obama just better than him <laughs> yeah yeah and obama was terrible too but and, yeah but not only did he dress better than him he was also hotter than him <laughs> i would agree with that yeah <laughs> okay so in addition to dressing very casually in his classic backwards cap very Ugh. very what does that mean with the old guy from 30 rock um, the hey kids yeah <laughs> yeah it's very that <laughs> what is that called i don't remember you you know it if you see it hey yeah. fellow kids yeah. i don't know what that always fellow says. kids yeah yeah um so it's very that it's not even cool it's not even sleek but whatever <laughs> so in addition to you know his backwards cap he's very popular online because he shares memes uh, he chimes in on sports and pop culture, and he talks about his love of video games. Bukele is very skilled in using Twitter and Facebook to communicate directly with voters, control his personal image, and shape the political narrative around him. And Twitter is actually his preferred way of announcing policies and communicating uh, with other mm -hmm. Like opposing legislators, foreign. Yeah, and if you people, if you tweet government. anything about him, people will find you and fucking attack you. Yeah, the most minute account. Like if I were to tweet from our own account that we're doing an episode of him, we would get swamped with fucking one star reviews. People that have never heard of our little. So we're podcast. not gonna promote this episode. No? <laughs> I'm not promoting this. No, we're not gonna do hashtag bukele. <laughs> hashtag bukele el Salvador. Title it. I mean, I'm going to title it with what we're talking about. Yes. And just hope they don't find us this way. If they do find us, please support us. <laughs> yeah, please. We're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> and Bukele even appeals to moderate voters who want change but fear extremism because he hides his extremism <laughs> yep. behind a sleek and polished personal brand. So people don't see it. They truly do not see it. Yeah. So this brand of cool president, quote, right? Okay, cool. Yeah. And he's he even, right, he changed his bio on Twitter to cool president, whatever. And then later to, as a way of like, to joke about people accusing him of being a dictator uh, or trying to be a dictator. He even changed his bio to the world's coolest dictator. Like that's blatant. It's right there, like in your fucking face. So, yeah, this this brand of supposedly cool has allowed Bukele to introduce policies. Oh, there's the name of it, like the Territorial Control Plan. And, of course, the current state of exception with little crit criticism. But it's also important to note that those that do criticize him are shut down. Some have even sought and gained asylum in other countries. Yeah. When the U.S. Senate of Foreign Relations Committee criticized him, Bukele invoked notions of colonialism, stating, okay, boomers, you have zero jurisdiction on a sovereign and independent nation. We're not your colony. And it's, the thing is, is that that's a fair statement to make. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's coming from him. But that's what makes him so personable to many, right? He knows what he's yeah. doing. He's good at what he's doing. Yeah. He's better than Trump at it. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, when you... When people that bring awareness to his abusive regime, right, to his authoritarian ways, people that do bring awareness to those things are faced with an onslaught of <laughs> of his defenders. 
And and this has been purposeful, right? Because even be, before he became president, he created pro uh Bukele, you know, Twitter yes, uh people, whatever. Or- yeah. Facebook yeah. propaganda groups, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now, like, he doesn't even need those things. Like, people just do it, right? For him, yeah. And people that often bring awareness and criticize him, um, like journalist Daniel Alvarenga, also known as... Did I say that right? Alvarenga, yeah, I did. Um, Also known as... Super cool IG name, by the way. (laughs) But you got... Best handle ever. Yeah, Yeah. on IG. Um, Or... And I didn't write down his... um, actual name but uh the ig account dicho zone bicho they often like point out you know like this isn't right like this is his the what he's doing how it's abusing human rights undermining <laughs> democracy it's authoritarian they have faced like criticisms threats had to shut down their account limit their comment yeah. yeah so it is scary to talk about this it is but it's important. Yeah. And no, like just because you point out these things doesn't mean that you love gang members. No. That you're spreading yeah. misinformation. Like that's what the propaganda machine of Bukele wants people to yeah. think. They will literally go and be like, okay, well, gang members killed my blah, blah, blah. Like you're defending this. And it's like, no, no one is saying that this is right. But you can't say that in prison putting 12 year olds in prison but then then they'll say oh but those are gang members they're not really kids and it, uh, it's, it's like similar to like yeah. you know when uh in the 90s here when people were using what was that term like super something it's like hillary clinton was quoted saying it a lot but basically it, it was like a a message that legislators government the president whatever pushed to be like pro hard on crime right is it like essentially saying that it doesn't super matter predators. Because have... okay okay <laughs> so they okay, were calling yeah. teenagers super predators and i feel like it's akin to that basically saying it doesn't matter that yeah. there's 12 year olds that were in prison it doesn't matter that there's innocent people being in prison as long as the gang members are being in prison um and i literally was going through comments <laughs> just before we recorded like to remind myself what people say. And they're like, oh, I, I know that there's some innocent people. But at the end, if they're innocent, they'll be released. And Which but, is not true. But how? How when there's no due process? There's Yeah, exactly. And then they're like, I, I know that there's innocent people who have been in prison for months on end. But at the end, like, it'll be worth it because it's safer. And it's like, it's worth it to who? The people uh, <laughs> who are, who've been wrongly in prison? Like, people... People have been imprisoned and they're not even told their charges. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to talk about originally. <laughs> but they, but you have to cover yeah the context. Before we can even talk about the state of exception and yeah. how uh, real people because have been victimized. Using, he's using this state of exception to also arrest his opposers. Yes. Yeah. But you're and not even, even asking state exception yet. No, no, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even touch on that. I'm like, that's coming because this is all like, I don't know, like a preface to it, basically. Uh, volume one. Volume one, if you will. Uh, prequel. 
Yeah, prequel. But there's even so you know, like in the Civil War, neighbors would say, "Oh, he's a he's a guerrillero," and the government would come, the military would this come, take them away. Is the argument I was having with our father because the same thing is happening now okay. because people are like, "Oh, my neighbor is a marero when they're not." And there's no yes. due process. There's no investigation. They just come and they yeah. take them away and they imprison mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And I was telling him, like, this is, like, how is this not ringing bells that, like, this was happening during the Civil War. This was happening during La, when La Matanza happened in 1930-something. Like, l- anyone who looked indigenous, including 12-year-olds, mm-hmm. which is why I'm like... How are people not seeing the parallels between arresting a 12-year-old because they look like a gang member and then what they were doing back then, arresting all the indigenous people? Because at the end of the day, the people that get affected the most are the most marginalized. Well, even now, the people that are uh, being affected the most by the um, state of exception is the most marginalized communities, the most impoverished communities. Yeah, and because at the end of the day, why do people join gangs? Exactly, exactly. But no, nobody wants to think about that. Uh, Everyone is so violence oriented but that's not how you solve things and i think that that has been proven time and time again not only by i don't know anecdotally but research (laughs) yeah and the the state of these these prisons is it is horrendous terrible but people will defend it horrible they'll be like oh these people don't deserve anything they deserve this you know what i mean but it's like okay say what you will about the gay members i for one don't think that anybody deserves that treatment right yeah and i don't think that's an outrageous thing to say (laughs) i mean either but But the people people, yeah that are innocent are also subjected to this treatment and there is tons and And, tons of innocent people that are in prison still now and people will be like okay even if it's like five percent innocent people exactly as long as it's 95 percent gang members we don't give a shit and i'm like how are you excusing this because today it's it's not you it's your neighbor but tomorrow will be you and can be you yeah yeah and it's like that old poem yes which oh right the poem but it's so true it is there's a reason why it's like a popular you know yeah first it's this group of people then it's this group and then people don't care until it's themselves and it's like why don't you care now yeah and i wish i remembered i was trying to look for it and i i don't remember um who tweeted it or shared this quote and i don't even remember the exact quote but it was basically like something like salvadorians are allowing and and that's and i don't that might not even be the right word because right there's a history which is why we talked about it just now yeah you know history of disillusion of the government for very very real reasons but basically the people are not they're being blinded by Bukele and it's heading the same way and I told I've told our dad I've told him and he usually will understand but I've told him like in 50 years this is going it's going to be the same as a civil war if it's not stopped you're gonna it's gonna come out that the same atrocities similar atrocities are happening and Mm -hmm. and like nothing no one is doing anything about it. But how do you even... Well, And, and the people that are, it? are afraid of are their being, lives. Yeah, afraid for their lives. Yeah. Like, I mean, because it all goes like, he's displacing people for his little stupid Bitcoin city or yeah. whatever. People are being displaced, killed, arrested. Indigenous people have always 
been subjected to people take trying to take their land, trying yeah. to capitalize it, trying to and you know, and people uh environment activists who usually yeah. are indigenous are also subject to being killed, people standing up for workers' rights. But like the same thing is happening now under him and people people who are not the ones standing up against him are just like well, he's fine as long as he's making it safe. And it's like, exactly. I don't know. I guess because so much has led to the state of why El Salvador is the way it is. Mm -hmm. And that falls under the fault of the United States. Yeah. (laughs) Like, so I I just, and then like, but what, what can be done at the end? I don't know. Because if the United States intervenes, it's like, no bitch, stay away. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that, but that's the same message that Bukele says. Yeah. He's like, he, there's even tweets that I read where he's like, the United States has meddled enough in our country because like he's he's been sanctioned by them, (laughs) but you know? Um, Yeah. And that's true. That's very true. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that he should be, has any right to be, you know, doing all this fucking shit. A dictator. Yeah, exactly. And so, all of it is is a mess, but I think it starts like. But how do you, how do you fight quote fake news? Right, you you have to address the reality of things, and you have to bring awareness to know Bukele is not a quote president. And yeah, maybe you feel safer, but he's doing this by violating the rights of many of your people, of Salvadorians, your fellow Salvadorians. And right now, you're not affected, but you but, will be uh, because your yeah, rights yeah. are also being violated. Through mm-hmm. the uh, continuation and continuation and continuation of the state of exception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just depressing. <laughs> yeah. It's sad. It is. Infuriating. Yeah. And and people, and they, yeah, they'll they'll defend him. Like if I he's... go to this place because it's the best pupusa place, but I hate going there because I saw it. I fucking it. saw it. Yeah. But then, and you know what? Our the pupusere here, I've not seen one pro bukele thing, and hopefully that means that they don't support him. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Does I hope. it mean I don't know? You know, I don't know. At least they're not being weird about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just you know I wanted to touch on all of these things as context for talking about the state of exception, and in the future, all the other stupid fucking shit bukele is doing. And you know what? I know that I'm not. Salvadorian because I was born here. <laughs> so don't even try to come at me and argue that with me. They're gonna be like, oh this gringa. Okay, yeah, we can still say that he sucks. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't have to live over there to know, you know? <laughs> and you live over there and you don't see it, and that's just that. So whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So next episode's gonna be state of exception. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. Since you know, since we talk a lot about heavy topics and whatever. Um, I did want to share with you that I watched the new season of Old Enough <laughs> on Netflix. Um, oh, I told you about the that show. Kids. Yes, I love this. It is show. the most adorable fucking show. <laughs> yeah, it's a. I I'm gonna go watch it right now. <laughs> I didn't watch all of the new season, but I watched a lot of it this morning and uh, while I was eating because they're like short episodes too. They're very short. And I mean, who doesn't love seeing toddlers and children gain? I don't know, independence, learn. Yeah, they're so excited about it. Such a cute show. Gain confidence because you Mm -hmm. see it as... Yes. They're like, I can't do it. And then (laughs) their moms are usually... Because, you know, it's always the moms. Yeah. Um, They're like, "Um, I believe in you. You can do this. (laughs) You can do hard things. Yes. Yeah, you're capable. And I'm just like, yes, you are capable. (laughs) 
you can do it, little guy or girl. Or... Oh, it is the most precious uh, thing. And so if yeah. you're ever feeling down, go watch that show. Except in the also, new. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I do want to do an episode about some hero dogs if you're down. If you want to do one dog and I do another dog. Yeah. I found a dog in a mountain or something, but in Mexico or something like that. So if you want, you were talking about the earthquake dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I guess that kind of wraps everything up for us, unless you want to add something. No, because I'm going to have a lot more comments in the state of exception episode. Okay. But I also said some of what I wanted to say about the state of ex- exception right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I will have more um, to say because this is something I read a lot about. I get mad. Yeah. Same. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Recommend us to the pro bukele people in your lives. <laughs> I don't want to be flooded with one star reviews, but you know what? Please, it. please help if, us it if they come up. for us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like when Save Your Sorry did episodes on Nicki Minaj and they were like, because <laughs> her fan base, oh my oh, God, yeah. but they were saying the same thing. I just, I feel like them right now. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we're not, yeah, we don't, there's no need to shy away from these things. Does that mean I'll ever visit El Salvador while Bukele is <laughs> president and he hears this episode? No. <laughs> you know, I wanted to, but no. no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Leave us a five star rating whatever for our for carmen's bravery okay <laughs> leave us a five-star rating please she was very brave today and next episode too yeah <laughs> anyway yeah um go watch old enough and eat some ice cream we'll catch you next time with another depressing episode yeah all right well we'll catch everyone next time thank you for listening and bye <laughs> bye